eyes peeled, everyone. It's time for the full 10 Yards College Football Podcast. Hello and welcome to the full 10 Yards College Football Podcast. I'm back. It's Lee again. Back here after the Combine and after spending all weekend watching the Combine. I'm here to bring you some winners and losers from that event in Indianapolis. And it was full of shocks, wasn't it? I mean, there was. I mean, it's a good class overall, I think, is the first thing to get out there, just straight away. There was a lot of players that performed really, really well. And a few players that performed fairly badly. Um, and that's what I'm here to do. But overall, good class. You know, I think it was pretty universally respected and universally known that it's a pretty good draft class this year. And, you know, there's a lot of good players that are going to be entering the league. And a lot of high-character guys as well, which is another thing that came out of the, the broadcast that I was listening to. A lot of a lot of players and a lot of teams enjoyed the players that, and enjoyed their interviews and getting to know them and getting to see their personalities. So that was really, really positive. The league's going to be in good hands for a long time with this draft class and how it's going to perform both on and off the field. So that's good that's good news for everyone. But not, not good news for everyone on this podcast because, like I said, I'm going to be going through some losers as well, some winners. And I'm going to bring you out three of each, maybe a little bit of a wild card, a little bit of a little pointer when you're sort of digesting all this information that comes out of the combine, things like that. Uh, just about one player in particular, who I guess that a lot of people would have said that probably didn't perform very well, but I don't think it matters. So that's what I'm going to dive into last thing. So yeah, let's get into it. Let's get into some winners. <laughs> Alright, let's get into it then. So this is the winner section. This is where the people who came out on top get a mention. And to be honest, I'm limiting myself to three here, but I think, I mean, I'm going to admit, talk, talk about more than three players. I've cheated a little bit. Um, but this could this could have been filled with a lot of other people. I was kind of struggling to fill out some losers. Obviously, I want to try and keep it positive. The Combine's one of those events that everyone puts a lot of stock into, and it is an important event. I'm not trying to take away from its importance, but it's not the be-all and end-all. You know, if a player tests badly... Uh, we've seen it plenty of times in the past if players test badly doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to go on to have a bad NFL career by any means and you know we've seen plenty of uh, players for the flip side you know players who have had great combine great pro day look really athletic but you know when it's come down to Sundays and playing football then you know it's not always worked for them so you know it's not a it's not a, it's not a true indicator of how someone's professional career is going to go whether you know how they perform in shorts and t-shirt or spandex as it is now you know on you know track with no pads on and things like that so not reading too much into it that's kind of what i was alluding to with one player and what i mentioned i'm right like i said i'm gonna leave that towards the end so let's get into it then first winner is well winners because i'm gonna talk about the tackle class in general now obviously we've got the big four tackles in the class jedrick wills andrew thomas uh, of georgia jedrick wills of alabama of course and andrew thomas of georgia tristan worths of iowa and then lastly by no means least, Mackay Becton of Louisville. These are kind of universally recognised as like the four best tackles in the draft class. Uh, whether, you know, what order you want to put them in is up for debate, but these guys are in a tier amongst themselves, and, and rightly so. And I think they all showed out uh, in the combine in India just why. Because they all looked pretty pretty good. Uh, Jedrick Wills just looked feisty. He performed pretty much how I would expect. Uh, there was that really hilarious moment that literally made me like burst out laughing when... They were uh, doing like a bag drill, and he nearly took the guy's head off <laughs> who was uh, holding the bag for him. And that's just Jedrick Wills down to a T. You know, he's got that aggression, he's got that mentality. 
He wants to finish, even though you know he's just in shorts, t-shirt, and he's just at the combine. He looked great. Uh, Andrew Thomas looked great, looked smooth. Uh, didn't blow the doors off anyone by any means, but we weren't expecting that either. Uh, he had a solid combine, uh, and that was great. You know, it's great for him. And then we move on to the two freaks. And um, obviously, I mean that in a great sense of the word. Uh, you got Mackay Beckton, who weighed in at. I'm just going to look this up actually before I proceed so I get this right. Gone to Mock Draftable, where we're all, you know, where we're keeping all this information nowadays. And I wish I had a co host to, you know, bounce off of at this point. The guy Beckton weighed in at £364. And a lot of guys thought that he would slim down for this event. Now, maybe he's a little bit slimmer than he played at at Louisville throughout the season and throughout his college career, but that's still a very, very, very heavy man. He, you know, comes in the 98th percentile for offensive tackles weight. So he's a he's a giant of a man, you know, he's six foot seven, uh, three hundred and sixty four pounds, I think. I was sat there watching it with my girlfriend, <laughs> watching the combine and she was like amazed at how big these people were, not a regular football watcher, not a regular football fan. And I think it's something like twenty four stone. Uh, but Mackay Beckton, as everyone saw, you know, when he was running his five point one second forty yard dash just how athletic this man is at this size and it's amazing you know he's got light feet he's well put together he doesn't carry any bad weight really but he is very very heavy he's a giant but he you know he's got ballerina feet this is that perfect this is that unicorn it's that perfect scenario when you're looking at a defensive lineman you know and the tape's great you know maxwell who was on the podcast uh, quite a lot earlier on in the year he's he, he was the first person that sort of signposted Mackay beckton for me he's a big fan and you know everyone's kind of on that band bandwagon now but yeah, shout out Maxwell. He, you know, he was the per- first person that kind of, like I say, pointed me in the direction of Mackay Beckton, and he's rung, he's got this one perfectly right. You know, he's got all the measurables as well. You know, he's got the forty yard dash, which obviously doesn't really matter too much about the the full forty yards, but his one point eight second forty, sorry, ten yard split was out of this world. He's got big hands. He's got long arms. He's got a huge wingspan. You know, and he's going to be a, a problem for edge defenders come uh, Sundays for the next ten years or so. And, you know, he's cemented themselves, like all the four tackles, I would say. He's, they've all cemented themselves to be in the top 15 in the draft class because of this performance, you know, on, on the... I can't remember what date it was now, but early on in the combine. So, yeah, well, I mean, hats off to those guys. And one person who did that more than any person in the combine at all. I mean, if I had to pick an overall winner uh, yeah, from the combine, if I was just single down to one person, it would be the guy I'm just about to talk about, and that's Tristan Wirfs of Iowa. Oof. Wow. I mean, <laughs> could it have gone any better? I mean, this guy just looked like a machine. You know, he's 320 pounds. He's 6'5", and he just glides over the turf. He, I mean, I, I, just, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. You know, he run the 40-yard dash in 4.85 seconds, and that's the 98th percentile. He also jumped out of the building and across the building as well. 99th percentile in both the broad and the vert. And he's just going to be an athletic freak. You know, his tape is good. Uh, very, very good in parts. And, yeah, again, he's going to be a problem for for edge defenders as they uh, try to go around him in the NFL and also for those uh, blockers at the second level when he's going out in the run game because for Tristan Wirth, that's his big strength, you know, getting out in the run game, getting out in front. And I think one thing that he did do, and like I said before, he cemented himself in the top 15 of the draft, maybe even further than that with Tristan Wirth because like of his just freakish performance, really. But he's also put to bed the... The guard talk, which was silly. You know, Tristan Wirfs is a tackle. 
He's played right tackle, and that's fine because we need two good tackles in the NFL right now. And he's not a guard. He's a tackle, and he proved that, and he is going to be a very good NFL player for many, many years to come. Uh, so, yeah, no, so great, great uh, news for all those guys and the teams at the top of the draft class that need tackles. But it's also has a knock-on effect because, obviously, you've got these four guys that are now going in the top 15, but it's also a great time for people like Austin Jackson, uh, Prince Tego Wanogo, Lucas Niang, this next group, this next group of tackles, Josh Jones is another one. You know, these guys are going to, they're going to have a jump up in there with their draft position as well because all these guys are going to go off in the top 15 and it's going to have a knock-on effect. You know, we've seen in the past few years really athletic tackles like Brian O'Neill, who plays for the Vikings, Colton Miller, Raiders, Mike McGlinchey. Uber-athletic tackles get overdrafted. I mean, some of them find their way, some of them don't. But they get overdrafted on draft night, and this is why I'm I'm convinced that, I mean, top 15 might be even, it could, I mean, it could be the top 11, with the Jets being the last, the last one who kind of needs a tackle. Depends on the quarterback, depends on a few things, but top 15, maybe even top 11, to be really positive about these guys and their prospects for draft night. Uh, but also, yeah, it has a knocking effect, because after these top four are gone, there's still plenty of teams that need good offensive tackles, and there is plenty of good offensive tackles in this class, but it means they'll get old drafted as well. So, you know, you could see Josh Jones in the set, in the first round. You could see a lot of guys, those that I mentioned a moment ago, Prince Tego Nogo, Lucas Niang, uh, Austin Jackson, maybe even someone such as Matt Pert from UConn. Uh, they're going to go in the second round and maybe even through the second round and then to the third. I think you're going to be able to get a starting tackle in this class in the fourth round because it's that deep. <laughs> so, you know, and everyone's going to move up because these guys did themselves a lot of favours and, and themselves a lot of cash on, on you know the past week in Indianapolis. So yeah, they're my big winners. They're my, my first and foremost. The first people that came to mind was the tackle class because it's not just the big four. It's also all the guys who precede them. Uh, so yeah, no, great, great day for those guys. So yeah, that's my first one. So yeah, moving on, next one. Moving on to Jonathan Taylor, uh, another player who plays in a position that's very deep in this draft class, plays running back, obviously, the Wisconsin running back. Uh, had a great combine in terms of one particular event, in, you know, like I say, in particular. Uh, the 40-yard dash, he was one of the first running backs for a long, long time, a few years at least, to go under 4-4 in the 40-yard dash. Now, I think I said it last week on last week's podcast when we were talking about the 40-yard dash and 4-4 is kind of like that benchmark of like, well, you're, you're like a really fast player. Um and obviously, at the running back position, being fast is, is quite a big positive. Now, I don't think anyone was expecting Jonathan Taylor to come in and be the fastest running back in the field. There was a lot of lot of fast running backs uh, coming out and in this draft class. Uh, but Jonathan Taylor was the one to to do it and to, to, to be the fastest one. And that was that was unexpected. And it might not have been the case if Travis CTN came out, but he didn't. And, you know, this is great for him. It's, it's something to put a feather in his cap because I feel like we went to the end of the season and other running backs were kind of getting the glory. I mean, Jonathan Taylor's been mine running back number one for a long, long time, probably since the whole the whole of the last season. Um, and to have him sort of come out on top, kind of put his name back on the map a little bit because I feel like towards the end of the season, there wasn't too much love for Jonathan Taylor. There wasn't too many people talking about him. And... I don't know why, because people should be talking about him. He's racked up a million yards in college each year, which I think some people do say is kind of the problem because he's had a lot of carries. 
he's got a lot of experience and maybe that's, you know, not leaving me tread on the tyres for his NFL career. But I just do feel like a lot of the, towards the end of the season, especially like a lot of love was being given to J.K. Dobbins and rightly so, you know, he's a good running back himself. And then DeAndre Swift as well. Uh, and kind of like I said, John Taylor's kind of stock, not for any fault of his own, but I just think popularity contest maybe. And popularity came into it, you know, flavour of the month and whatnot came into it. And Wisconsin, they're not, especially in this country at least, they're not the team that a lot of people talk about. So yeah, for Jonathan Taylor to kind of go up there and beat super fast running backs like Anthony McFarland and Cam Akers and uh, Levante Bellamy, uh, really sort of put his damp on things. And uh, yeah, I thought it was great for him. Great for the brand as well, obviously, if I'm sort of touting him as running back one the whole time. It's great for me. Uh, it makes me look clever, which is what it's all about, of course. Uh, but no, I think he's going to be a good pro. A good pro. Um, he's shown he's shown literally everything. You know, he's shown that he can play in, in an offense where he's the focal point. He can do everything in terms of running back position. He expanded his game last year to show some receiving ability, and I think he's going to be a great asset to whoever drafts him uh, in the late first and early second round. So yeah, great. For Jonathan Taylor, great for me, great for the brand, great for the NFL that he's coming in there, and great for everyone else. You know, all the running backs again, because like what I was talking about with the tackles, it'll start a little bit of a run on the tackles. Uh, sorry, on the running backs, just like it will with the tackles. You know, as soon as one goes, everyone will be doing a staring contest. Everyone will be looking for the first team to blink, and as soon as the first one goes off the board, then you might see the others trickle. Where I think in my mock drafts, when I've been doing multi-round mock drafts for the full-time yards, I feel like. I've been drafting a lot of these guys in the second, maybe third round. Um, and that might not be the case if one goes off, one goes early, because then everyone, you know, the, it's supply and demand, isn't it, at the end of the day. You've got those elite backs, you know, your, your uh, DeAndre Swift and your J.K. Dobbins, and, you know, Cam Akers for some people. And those guys, and they're all, you know, supply and demand. Like I said, so as soon as one goes, then the supply is less, and the demand is maybe still the same, because there's a lot of teams that need running backs out there. And one of those teams could be my charges as well, so... Watch that space and keep those eyes peeled for the running back going as well. But like I say, my second winner is uh, Jonathan Taylor of Wisconsin and the running backs. So yeah, lastly, uh, moving on to the final winner for me. And I know I said this about Tristan Wirfs a moment ago. Maybe he be you know putting the best showing of the combine, but maybe maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was this guy. Maybe it's Isaiah Simmons of Clemson. And I'm I'm just getting to the point now where I don't even want to put a position on Isaiah Simmons anymore because I don't know if he feel be nailed down to a position too much at the next level at the NFL. But you know he he's a linebacker, safety, defensive player, whatever you want to say. But it's one of those players who just transcends the whole of the defense. You know, really, because he's going to be moved around. He's going to be that ultimate chess piece, as I've mentioned plenty of times throughout the season. And his combine shows that you know he's huge. He's like a wide receiver. He's like the build of a, a wide receiver. He's six foot four, uh, two thirty eight, which he, I think he put a bit of mass on for the combine. To be honest with you, I don't didn't expect him to be that heavy. Uh, he's got massive wingspan. He runs under a four four. He runs two. He runs four three nine, which is the ninety percentile four. Uh, sorry, ninety ninth percentile four linebackers. You know, he jumped out of the gym again. Broad jump was ninety eighth percentile, uh, <laughs> and vertical jump of thirty nine inches. So. Yeah, this is the unicorn, as a lot of people have been saying. And he's just going to be moved around, like I say. And, and it's one of those players who, if you go into mock draftable, you know, everyone will be familiar with the like spider diagram, or however you want to call it. You know, if you move on to defensive back, it basically fills the whole thing. If you move it to safety, it gets even bigger. The linebacker 
the graph is on the <laughs> the only like dip in his weight and hand size because obviously he's a taller, slimmer guy. But it was just an absolute show, you know. <laughs> he's just going to be the team very happy. And, you know, we I think I've maybe drafted Isaiah Simmons at number four overall in my mock drafts, but I don't know if he can go even higher, do you know. I mean, he's this ultimate defensive weapon. And could the Lions be in there? You know, could someone trade up for him? He's, he's one of those players, obviously I'm a Chargers fan, but if we didn't need the quarterback so much, then I'm all in on Isaiah Simmons being that key another key defensive piece for this team where you know you could have Derwin James and Isaiah Simmons kind of <laughs> being these ultimate chess pieces and just being able to have so much flexibility and versatility and great players on your D, you know, would, would add that in. I just think with the quarterback need, he can't go there, but someone's going to be very, very happy at the top of the draft. I wouldn't be surprised if someone trades up for him. And I've even heard and read and seen reports or whispers that the Redskins could be in for him, which is insane, you know, him to go number two. But, I mean, some people are saying that he's a better fit for the Redskins than Chase Young, which to me is crazy because Chase Young's, like, the best, like, literally the best player in the class. But Isaiah Simmons, you know, he, he can do a lot for your D. He can do a lot for your team. And, you know, a lot of people have been saying that, you know, with the Redskins, I'm not saying this is going to happen by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, the Redskins aren't that... that the edge position isn't that much of a need for them, but they could definitely do with a linebacker. They could definitely do with a safety. They could definitely do with good football players, and I know Chase Young is a good football player as well. But does it make more sense? I don't know. One, one to digest, for sure. And, you know, like I said before, um, whoever gets Isaiah Simmons is going to be very, very happy indeed, and he's definitely going to be in the top 10. So, yeah, I mean, I couldn't go through a winner's section without mentioning him. I mean, he, like I say, I mean, I want to say it for everyone because I want to keep it really positive, and I thought there was a lot of good performances, like I said, at the top of the pod, but what performance. I mean, what an athlete, what a performance. This event's kind of made for guys like him who are just athletic freaks, you know, in the best sense of the word. So we'll see. I mean, I don't think with the guys at the top too much that the combine matters too much because we all know that these guys are athletic freaks anyway. So no one should really be surprised about Isaiah Simmons running well or jumping well or performing well in the drills. Ditto Tristan Wirfs. These guys have always been on Bruce Feldman's freak list. They've always been held up in this higher echelon of athlete for any position they want to, they want to play. Uh, so it's not really stock up for these guys, but I mean, maybe slightly if you were a bit surprised at how well they did. But yeah, so that rounds out the winner's section. Um, There's plenty of other players that I wanted to mention, but I'm just going to limit it to it like this. And unfortunately, we're going to move on to the losers. So that's what's next up. <laughs> So let's move on then, uh, second category of the podcast. Unfortunately, like I said, we've got to talk about some losers and some guys who we maybe didn't want to mention in this section, I guess, but we have to, you know, because I guess they want to kind of get away from the combine and maybe try and forget about it, move on to their pro day and try and perform a little bit better. But we've got to do it. There's two sides to every coin. There's, you know, it's not participation trophies over here at the Fulton Yards. We've got to talk about some losers as well. So first up, AJ Epinesa out of Iowa, the edge defender. You know, his teammate, he was in the winner's section, Tristan Wirfs. But AJ Epinesa, you know, for a player who was kind of slipping, I guess, slipping towards the end of the first round, 
could he move out of the first round altogether with his combine performance? I mean, it just wasn't good. It just wasn't good. I mean, he's a big edge guy anyway. You know, he's six foot five and two hundred seventy five pounds. You know, that's that's really. I mean, they don't build them like that. Let's just say, you know, they don't build them like that at all. Which is fine. You know, I mean, you do get people of all shapes and sizes. But the thing is, he slimmed down for the combine. You know, he, he weighed in at 275. He was playing maybe five or six pounds heavier than that throughout the season. So, you know, you, you get players that do this all the time. You get players that slim down, put on masks, things like that. They, they sculpt their body to be able to perform in the best way possible for the combine, obviously, because it's a big part of the job interview. But you would think if someone slimmed down, they would run fast. And AJ Epineza didn't run fast. He ran the 40 yard dash in five seconds, well, just over five seconds, 5.04 seconds. That's offensive lineman territory. <laughs> you know, that puts him in the seventh percentile for uh, 40 yard dash. I mean, again, it's it's only building into the, the sort of explosiveness profile of a player. You know, and no edge player is going to run 40 yards down the field unless. They're chasing someone back who's running towards to scoring a touchdown. But the problem is that's very, very slow. And his other explosive jumps and things like that and other uh, events, uh, including the bench press, were not good. You know, he didn't jump well. His bench press was pretty terrible at 17 reps, only in the 8th percentile. And this is a guy who's a power rusher. So, you, you know, this is what I mean. So you maybe. You're thinking, yeah, Dash is fine. He's, he's not a speed rusher anyway. But And the bench press isn't the best or most apt uh, measure of strength by any means. But this is a power rusher. You're expecting to have some power, some explosivity, some drive in his legs. And, I mean, he just looked too big. I mean, there's not a lot of players. Like I said, they don't build him like this. There's not a lot of players. There's not a lot of people to look at and say, okay, yeah, that's fine because... This player also tested like this, and he's had a good career. We're looking at people like Eric Armstead, who have kind of come in at this kind of range, and Eric Armstead's much taller. He's six foot seven, and he's almost three hundred pounds. And this is the kind of combine that we're looking at here with his results. You know, a low bench press, a low forty yard dash. Eric Armstead could jump though even though he is he's a huge guy. And then the other, the other player that's been mentioned is Trey Flowers. Let's just pull up Trey Flowers' um, combine results just for a second. Yeah, I mean, the spider graph isn't great. I mean, but Trey Flowers is six foot two, 266. He also didn't run a very quick 40. You know, he was 4.93 seconds. Uh, with a decent 10-yard split, which obviously is important, more important than the actual full 40 yards itself. But Trey Falls, again, jumped well, and jumped better, at least, than Epineza did. So there's not a lot to go off here. And, I mean, Epineza's been kind of slipping, like I said before, in a lot of the, in the minds of a lot of people. You know, now you look at the teams who could be looking at him and thinking, well, there's not a lot of precedent to go for for this player. And how do they feel about that? That must make his draft stock slip. I mean, talking about players who, like I say, just Eric Armstead and Trey Flowers, so one played for the Patriots and they draft a certain type of player. 
is Epineza that sort of player? Is he sort of that high IQ sort of player? Is he a Patriots player? Potentially. You know, and Bill Belichick would understand how to use him and how to use this guy who, you know, has this unique way of playing and unique style of winning off the edge. So that's interesting. There's only a few other teams that are maybe pegged that Epineza would be used properly in or in a way that would accentuate his strengths. So it's really interesting to see where he goes. If he goes to the wrong team, and a lot of... I mean, you could say this about a lot of players in the combine and in the draft, but if they go to the team who can't use them properly, then that could be the end of his career very soon. And I'm not saying he's sort of doomed by this, but it's definitely one to watch, for sure, because, like I say, if if he goes to a defensive coordinator or a defensive mind who just doesn't use him properly or, you know, tries to transform his body in a different way that he doesn't cope well with, then... Like I said, we see it all the time. Like I said, you know, players drop out and play badly uh, in when they've had a great combine. But it could also go the other way. And Evans is a bit in between. So I don't know where this is going to go, but he's definitely one to watch. And, you know, I will see him slip in mock drafts, I'm sure, you know, because people overreact to the combine all the time. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. But it's definitely one to watch. As I said, about half a million times now. So I'll move on to my next one. And my next one is a quarterback. And there's quite a few quarterbacks that didn't perform too well, but one performed much worse than all the rest. And one person, I mean, this person didn't wasn't probably expected to have a great combine, but having a good combine would have maybe vaulted him back up people's rankings where he was a couple of years ago, perhaps. I'm talking about Jake Fromm, the Georgia quarterback. Now, obviously, we know that Jake Fromm's not a particularly revered athlete. He's not known for his athletic profile or his athleticism. And that's not how he quarterbacks. He's a pocket passer who, you know, he's very intelligent, good football IQ. He's relatively accurate. He's very safe. And that's kind of the problem. Jake from, to me, is a guy who has a ceiling. He has a high floor, but quite a low ceiling as well. There's not a lot of growth to be done there. I think he is what he is for a lot of people. And that's what he's kind of shown, you know. What we might have wanted to see after making this assumption and this uh, evaluation of Jake from that he is this low ceiling guy is you want to see maybe some athleticism maybe he's worked out maybe he's worked on his speed maybe he's worked on other aspects of his athletic profile and he's going to show that in Indy but it just didn't happen you know first of all obviously everyone every quarterback gets measured for the hand size and he comes in with quite small hands uh eight inches and seven eighths inches hands and that's small you know that's in the third percentile for quarterbacks that I mean, he, he's not a player who has struggled with fumbles too much. But it's definitely something that's going to be brought up if he does begin to struggle with it. It's just going to be one of those parallels that people draw like immediately. That, you know, this guy's got small hands and he can't go to the football. And also it's going to help, you know, it's not going to help, sorry, if he gets drafted to a team in the north, you know, and he has to put up with cold weather and maybe wet footballs. Um, because, you know, Jacob Rom's very experienced he's going to be seen as this guy who's maybe going to be drafted as a backup to begin with maybe in the second or third round and then he's going to potentially have that chance to work himself up because he's had a good college career but if he can't grip the football and if he's not got that x factor he's not got that athleticism to help out a team when they need something then he's going to be able to do it he's going to have a good career i'm not sure i mean this isn't shocking news like i said no one was really expecting jake from to come out here and blow the doors off the combine but Man, we're, we're expecting at least competence, you know. I mean, he, he's low in everything. He took five seconds from the 40. He's not got big arms. He's not big. He's not particularly explosive. He, I'd say he's, he's a pocket passer anyway, so he's not 
going to help or sorry hinder his playing style at all but like I said I mean I was expecting a little bit better like a little bit better at least but he is what he is you know and he's going to go in the second or third round he's going to be back up I'd like him in Atlanta I'd like him to take over stay at home uh, maybe get a, a call for the starting job in a couple of years when Matt Ryan uh, sort of hangs it up I guess so yeah there you go so, yeah Jake Fromm is my second combine loser from this week and uh, not one that we expect to be a big winner but anyway nonetheless moving on so moving on i'm going to kind of cheat again with this last one my final one and it's going to be just the tight end group i mean this group was one of the first to go out it's one of the first ones that i watched go out onto the field in indy really you know really excited really excited for the combine to to get started and then we you know we start off with tight ends which is never that exciting but anyway, you know, we we've had some good we've had some good tight ends in the past. You know, past few years we've had some athletic guys. We've had some players that we've been looking forward to seeing. I mean, last year we had the Iowa Titans, for example. You know, they were you know they were players that we were both looking at. We were all looking at, and you're looking to have a good combine. We had a few this this time around, but no one who's really like blowing the doors off. I'm not really sure if there's going to be maybe you know like I say like a a first round tight end. I'm not really sure if we've got that kind of player. And then the kind of results were everywhere. And then the drills, they didn't look too good. And then <laughs> Mitchell Wilcox got busted nose from getting hit in the face. And I don't know. It just wasn't a great. It was just wasn't a great showing from anyone really. I mean, Hunter Bryant, my tight end one. He had a decent combine. Played, did well in the bench. Did okay in the forty. Uh, relatively okay in, in most drills, but. Again, no one really blowing the doors off. The winner of the event was like all over the place. I guess one one player, apart from maybe both the Bryants, uh, maybe one guy who jumped off the screen quite a lot was uh, Adam Troutman from Dayton. You know, but that says it all, doesn't it? That the the potential tie end one in the two thousand and twenty draft class comes from the Dayton Flyers, uh, the FCS school from Ohio. That I guess like a lot of people wouldn't be even heard of before Adam Troutman came along um and you know it's true I mean they've, they've not really had any sort of standing in anything so really to be honest with you no disrespect to Dayton Flyers or anyone associated with that college but Adam Troutman's flying the flag for that college and, and that's great for him but it says a lot about the tight end group that we've got coming up here and I'm not sure if we've got a, a player who's worthy of the first round and uh, there's a few teams that need the tight end you know the Chargers are one again. I'm just gonna go back to the well again. The Steelers, the Bears, the Patriots all need a tight end, but it's not the time to want a tight end. I need a tight end, so it's not it's not a great showing for anyone. There's no real standout in this group. It's not a position that gets a lot of love in the draft as it is. You know, it's pretty difficult to to get excited about tight ends, especially, you know, unless we've got some athletic freaks coming out and some players who are going to really build the doors off the league or be different. And this is a time when tight ends are really popular. You know, we've got the, the raging battle between uh, George Kittle and Travis Kelsey. Everyone's debating who's number one. Travis Kelsey and George Kittle have got their own personalities and their own fan groups. And tight end position is really popular. You know, we've, we've had Rob Gronkowski as well come out of this position recently and put it on the map a little bit and we were looking for these sort of heirs and the new people to kind of take this position on uh, after those two guys that are in the league right now and Zach Ertz, you know, we were looking for those young guys who, like I say, were, were players that we were looking forward to at the Combine before well, the Combine recently, you know, I'm looking at you, David Njoku and Erin Engram, but these guys need to like put it together and 
kind of be this next group, be this like next players who play this position and play it really well and are stars, you know. But it's a few young guys that are in the league right now. Like I said, the two Iowa tight ends, Hunt Henry from the Chargers, but they've all got their issues, you know. They've all got their issues. They've all got their problems. And the Titan group, I don't think it's going to be supplying any, any big ones from this year. Uh, like I say, a couple of good ones in there, but they're no... They're nothing revolutionary. They're nothing deal breaking. They're nothing that's going to get me out of my seat. And I'm, I mean, one of these guys is hopefully going to get drafted by the Chargers. <laughs> I don't know if he's going to get me excited in the fourth or fifth round, but we'll see. We need to tighten too. But anyway, kind of digressing and just kind of making this a semi-Chargers podcast rather than a football, uh, you know, general college and football podcast. But anyway, that's just me. <laughs> anyway, so that's my that's my losers. So my losers are AJ Epinesa. Jake from and just the tight end groups and anyone who needs a tight end, any team that needs a tight end because it's not the it's not the well to be travelling to. So to finish off, I'm just going to talk about one player in particular and just how we shouldn't read too much into the combine and don't overreact too much. You know, if you're a guy like me who uh, loves the draft, loves to write mock drafts as their own, loves to kind of project and talk about the NFL draft and college football just all the time, <laughs> which is what I do. Um, you know, just don't overreact to, to some things. You know, I'm going to talk about Derek Brown, the Auburn defensive tackle. Now, Derek Brown is a monster. He's a top five player in this class, and if you don't have him in that range, then you're doing big balls wrong. But he didn't have a great combine, you know, and I'm going to tell you not to overreact about that too much. You know, look at the tape. The tape doesn't lie. The tape shows Derek Brown is an absolute monster, but he's got nine-inch hands which is in the third percentile. He ran really slow. He didn't jump very well. His three cone was made DK Metcalf look quick. He didn't look athletic in shorts and t-shirt, but when he puts his pads on and when he's head up on your center or taking on your guards, he gets through and he gets home and he gets to the quarterback. Tape doesn't lie. I mean, he, he does it. He's a monster. He's a top five player. He should go in the top 10 of the draft any any day, any year. Um, he's a great player. Um, so this is kind of what I was saying at the beginning, that the, the combine doesn't matter too much, especially at the top. You don't alter your positions too much on your big board because an elite player who has elite tape has maybe a little bit of a underwhelming combine. It's kind of why a few players kind of got missed off my losers list because we know that they're going to have a good combine. Jerry Judy is another one. You know, he didn't didn't perform all that well in the combine. You know, he didn't have a great forty, for example. But we know that he is a fantastic wide receiver and a fantastic player. He's going to have a good NFL career. You know, he's twenty yards short. His dash, his jumps weren't great. He's a smaller, slimmer wide out anyway. But he's going to have a great career. So don't don't overreact when it's elite players. If you've got a player lower down your board and he has a bad combine and for underperforms, then yeah, I mean, take him take him right off. <laughs> Don't He's not going to be drafted. But you've got elite players with elite tape and they have bad combine, it doesn't matter too much. It only matters towards the bottom. So that's my kind of my kind of tips when I want to get soft the chest. And I know that some people have been kind of ripping on Derek Brown and ripping on these elite players who've had iffy combines. And I mean, maybe I'm a bit of a hypocrite because I've just been saying the same about AJ Epinesa, but ask yourself, is AJ Epinesa an elite player? I'm not sure. But I'll leave you with that thought. That's going to be the end of the, the Combine Winners and Losers podcast here at the Full 10 Yards College Football Podcast. My name is Lee Wakefield. You can get me on Twitter, at Wakefield90. Give me a follow. 
come and talk football with me. Come and talk college football pop with me. Come and talk NFL draft with me. I'll be delighted. And if you want to catch the college football Twitter handle, it's at full10yardscfb. But like I say, I think we'll leave it there. Catch you next time, and we'll see you on the other side for some uh, positions. We're going to go through some positions, uh, top fives and a sleeper, just going to work through all the way until the NFL draft in April. Uh, one position a week, a couple of positions, maybe in a couple of weeks so I can fit it all in and um, you know, lead up to our final mock draft and then it'll be draft night before we know it, people. So like I said, yeah, see you on the other side. Thanks for listening to the podcast. For all your football needs, check out our website, full10yards.com or follow us on Twitter at full10yardscfb. And remember, keep those eyes peeled.